Good morning. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls Fellowship. If you're new and visiting with us this morning, whether you uh, came with your mom and dad and your little sister and you got your awesome shark shirt on today, whether you came for a family baptism or you've come because you're looking for a new church, maybe you just moved from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Who knows? But whatever brings you here this morning, we're so glad to have you with us as we come uh, to worship, to fellowship, to be renewed and transformed. We are looking at the spiritual discipline of Christ-centered hospitality this summer. Uh, and, and we chose those words really on purpose, okay? So the spiritual discipline, because we believe that there's a spiritual reality going on when we practice hospitality. Uh, a discipline, because even though we are made for one another and for relationships and to show grace and use our gifts with one another, to be generous, to show hospitality, it doesn't come easy, we got to learn. we got to practice. It takes effort and time. Just like any skill or practice, we've got to grow in it over time. And then we say that it's Christ-centered because just like we'll see in our passage this morning, if we don't view God's mercy and we don't see what God has done in us, if he doesn't speak and move first, our efforts to show hospitality, to love others, to live a flourishing life uh, will become a burden to us, will crush us will create increasing despair and pain and suffering. A few weeks ago, we talked about a famous passage where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And in that passage, Jesus ends by saying, go and do likewise, wash the feet of others, show hospitality, be generous and kind. But before he gets there to the instruction, the command, the path forward, the direction of going and doing likewise for others, he first roots that command in himself, washing the disciples' feet himself, even that of the betrayer, and then asking them, do you understand what I've done for you? Similarly, in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul begins, at the very end you'll see, he says, practice hospitality. But at the beginning, he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. So if we really want to practice hospitality and receive it, if we want to become a hospitable community where we belong to each other and share with one another and encourage one another are transformed, we can only do it if we are in view of God's mercy. Quintessentially, in uh, one of my... Weird use of, use of quintessentially. Uh, another place that it happens in the Bible is my favorite passage. So anytime I get to use it, uh, I do. But it comes from Philippians chapter 2. And in that passage, Paul is saying, look, if this means anything to you. He says, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort in his love, if there's any joy, if there's any unity in the spirit, if there's anything that happens, if this, if this moved you at all, then complete my joy but being of the same mind, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. No one should think high, more highly of themselves than they ought, but in humility. Count others as more valuable than yourself. And in that way, not only look after yourself and your own interests, but look after the interests of others. See, the command of the Bible over and over again, the call of, of Scripture, it's not just Paul and it's not just Jesus' teaching, but from the beginning to the end, just like in baptism, God is speaking. God is pouring out his mercy. God is bringing us in view of it. And then out of that, once we see it, we can be transformed. 
If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. Leslie's going to come and read for us verses 1 through 13. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Please join me in prayer. God, we ask that by the power of your spirit and through the words that Leslie just read, that you would show us your mercy, that we would come into view of it because we want to be renewed. We want to be transformed. Uh, we want to know and see what is your perfect, pleasing will. Help us to walk in it for your glory and for our joy. Amen. So uh, I got to have a lot of conversations with people this week and something became apparent to me. Maybe you noticed it, Wade or Brian and Mary. Maybe if we spent time together this week, maybe you recognize this. Sometimes people ask me a question and um, they have in mind like a really simple question, simple answer. They want to keep the conversation moving. And they ask me a question and before I answer, I got to answer three other questions they didn't ask. Um, and, and, and so typically what happens is, uh, like in, in choosing sermon passages, you pick something like this because it says very directly, practice hospitality. Awesome, we're talking about hospitality. Let's do that. It's talking about gifts. What gifts do you bring to hospitality? Let's do that. But then you get into it, and the, the bulletin was already printed, and then you're locked in and stuck, even though uh, there's 11 chapters that we need to know about before we can get to the therefore practice hospitality in view of God's mercy. 
Uh, and so I was just like feeling the weight of that this morning. And so if you'll just indulge me, we're going to go back and read these 11 chapters. And then I'm hoping that by the end, um, no, really, we're going to go back and we'll, we'll hit some of the highlights. But it's kind of like, so Romans in the Bible, if you've ever been around church or, or if you've read Romans, Romans is kind of like the big leagues in the Bible. Okay, when it's the story of the gospel and how does it actually work out, this is Paul's greatest writing on it. It's the most like comprehensive, detailed explanation of things, sometimes overly. You can lose the heart of the gospel sometimes, reading through things, or at least if you're like me, because then you're wondering about a bunch of other questions and answers. But it's this great picture, and diving into Romans chapter 12 is like starting a wonderful show, season five, the series finale. And so just like they do on Netflix, we're going to do kind of a, on previous episodes of Romans, and we're just going to go back and look, because we could talk about hospitality, and the topic, the part of hospitality we're talking about this morning is, is talking about, like, what gifts are you going to give in hospitality? What are you going to offer? What are you going to use? And uh, here's just, like, where we're going to go is we're going to say hospitality is for everybody, In view of God's mercy, hospitality is for everybody. But how you do it, what you offer, is according to God's grace and faith and gifts he's given you. Like members of the body, we don't all have the same function. We don't all have the same gifts. The way you show hospitality and practice it is going to differ from somebody else. It's on purpose. God has a purpose in that. We show up and enter in to practice according to the gifts that he's given us. But if we miss this first part, the in view of God's mercy, the do you understand what it is I have done for you, if we miss the gospel, then living the life of glory and grace, walking in his will, will become a burden and a hardship, and it'll drive us away. Because none of us can muster to live in light of that on our own strength. We were never designed to. We were always designed for fellowship with God, to be in his glory and receive it, and that that's what lights us up in the way that we love and care for one another. But if we're going to get there, we've got to quickly run back. The passage begins, therefore, and any time in the Bible you see therefore, you've got to ask the question, what is it there for? And here Paul has gone for 11 chapters to spell out the gospel in detail. He's going to zoom through what it is that we do about it, Because he wants to make sure we don't miss the point, the power, the shape, the living piece. And so he says, therefore, Paul begins in chapter one, very simply presenting the gospel in a couple verses, and then goes on to use a lot more words for the next 11 chapters. But in verse 17 and 18 in the first chapter, he says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And yet, the righteousness of God is also revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, beginning to end, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So there's wickedness and brokenness and sin that is being revealed. We're coming to see it and explore it more and more, uncover it, sometimes being surprised by it more and more, just like in the world. And yet at the same time, 
the righteousness, the inexhaustible righteousness of God's mercy and grace is coming in, being revealed from heaven, emanating from God himself to us so that we can walk and live in it, not perfectly by our own strength, but in light of it, by its own power and strength, in view of God's mercy. Paul goes on after that to say in verse 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. Last week I was with the youth group, uh, first time I've been with the youth in a number of years, and uh, the devotional that Catherine laid out for me was, what is sin? (laughs) Kind of a parting shot on her part, right? But there's something that I learned about sin, uh, uh, probably not until I was in seminary, that started to unpack things for me. So I was excited to share it for them. I'm not really sure they got it, but, but I talked a lot about it, and I'm going to tell you. Sin, we tend to think about sin and define it only uh, on half of really what sin is. We talk about the sin of commission. All right, that's violations and transgressions of God's law. God said, don't do this, and we did it. It's a thought, it's an action, it's a, a heart disposition. We did something that God specifically told us not to do. But there's another half of sin. Uh, the Westminster Confession says that sin is any violation and transgression of God's law. That's the commission. We did it on purpose. But it's also any lack or want of conformity unto God's law. What he says here in chapter 3 is that we all fell short of the glory God desired for us. It's not just the things that we did. It's the glorious splendor God created us for that we just, we didn't walk in it. We didn't choose it. Back in chapter 1, it spells out the wickedness and brokenness of mankind saying that they chose not to worship the creator, but to worship created things. They settled for something less than the glory of God, choosing the glory of lesser things. They neither acknowledged him, nor they thanked him or worshipped him. If we are made to be reflections of God's glory, like a mirror reflecting a bright light to one another, and our mirror isn't pointed at the source of that light, we're going to fall short of that glory. We're going to dim The life that God has for us will become a burden and a prison. But the second half, all have sinned and fallen short of glory. And also, all are justified freely by his grace through Jesus Christ. It's his mercy that makes the difference. Going on, the Apostle Paul says that Abraham... One who believed God's promises some of the time, sometimes took things into his own strength and walked away. Sometimes gave thanks to God, sometimes walked away. Abraham, we like Abraham, are justified, forgiven, made whole by Jesus, by grace. Justified by faith in looking to him for the glory and the forgiveness and the splendor that he's created us for. And when we look to him by faith, we receive and are restored to that glorious splendor. Not just us as individuals, but as a community looking and orienting to him. That we might all reflect his glory. And then Paul goes on to say that because God has done this, 
when we were sinners, when we were enemies, when we denied and ignored him and has adopted us as sons and daughters, we have free access to our Father in heaven. We can come back to his glory and his splendor to receive it. He's removed the obstacles that get in our way. And then again in Romans 7, he says that the Christian life is this experience that, that we see it and we know it and then sometimes we lose sight. He says, a wretched man am I who will save me from this body of sin and death because sometimes I do what I don't want to do. And other things I know I want to do, I just don't do. Who will save and deliver me? And the answer comes in Romans 8, therefore, for now on, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul points out and brings the people over and over again to the reality of who we are and where we are and what the world is like, but the deeper and greater reality of God's perfect, infinite mercy and salvation in Jesus Christ. And faith, looking to him, being in view of it, is what unites us to that and transforms us. So as he says here in chapter 12, therefore I urge you, that therefore stands in the place of all the mercy before. For some of us, that therefore doesn't make a lot of sense. Whether you've read the first 11 chapters or not, just the idea of in view of God's mercies, maybe you're sitting there saying, well, what mercies? I'm not convinced yet. And if you're in that place, I want to invite you and say, if you haven't seen it yet, all I ask, would you let us watch with you? Would you create space for us to sit and wait and watch to see what you see? To tell you what we see? To explore and see if God won't show us his mercy freely because of Jesus. And still for others of us, you have seen and viewed and tasted. But maybe you find yourself in a dry season. Wondering what it is that God is doing in the world, in your life. In the people you've been praying for. How long, O oh Lord, you find yourself... God, where are your mercies? I know you're merciful, but where right now? I want to encourage you that one of the ways that we view God's mercy is not just for ourselves, but when we see it in somebody else viewing God's mercy. Last week, spending time with the youth in the first service, I spent time with the four and five-year-olds in Sunday school. And you sit there and watch their excitement as they're learning these new things about what God is like and how he moves and works. And you see God's mercy because they're beginning to see it. And so for some of us, the dryness that we have is because we just need a partner for the journey. We need to come alongside and sit and wait and listen with somebody to see God's mercy through their eyes that it might refresh and renew the mercy that we have seen ourselves. We've got to get off the sideline. When I was growing up, my favorite summer activity was going to the pool. I started at a very young age. The pool was at the end of our street. I was homeschooled, so it was like the rest of the year I didn't have friends. Then in the summer, it's like they all appeared out of nowhere. Like a cruise ship pulled into port, dropped them all off. 
And so uh, our first house, when I was really little and first joined swim team and started going to the pool by myself, it was just at the end of the street. It was like 20 houses down. There was a big hill. I would walk down it every day. We weren't allowed to be in the house in the summertime. Walk down to the end and then enjoy the day and then sit in the clubhouse calling to see if I could get a ride home. And then we moved to a bigger neighborhood and had a bigger pool. And there was a country club and a grill and a restaurant that people ate at. And I was so excited. And, and the neighborhood was so much bigger. So there were even more kids. But it was a lot further from my house. And so every day I would think about and dream about. And somebody would call and say, are you going to the pool today? And I would have this vision of, yes, I want to be there. I want to splash around. I want to have fun. I want to be together. And I'd be like, mm, but this is an awful long way. And so I'd ask everyone in my house, uh, could you take me? I would call my friends and ask their parents, could you take me? But then I would see and know that I so wanted to be there that I would set out on my own. The problem is my house sits at the bottom of two big hills. And I don't think I made it up to the second house of the hill before I sat down and said, do I really want to go here? And then I get up and go a little bit further and then I'd pull over, and I spent a lot of time in my life praying and worshiping and hoping that a car would come and give me a ride. And then I remember one time that the car pulled up and it started to slow down and my heart began to leap. And then my friend's mom made him get out of the car and walk with me. Sometimes being in God's glory and being on this journey of faith, on the road there, sometimes God doesn't pick us up and take us to the end. Sometimes we get weary and we lose sight, lose the vision. We think back home might be better and we want to turn around. We want to go any other way. But Jesus has come alongside us to show us his mercy. God has provided one another. It says in this passage here, we are not our own, but we each belong to one another. For what purpose? Because God needs us to view his glory. You need people to come and wait and watch with you. We all need that, to come alongside and to view his glory, that it might do something to us and carry us along the way. Do you have those people? Are you joining with God to be that person? To come alongside and wait and watch with others? If you need help finding where to do that, it's all I ever talk about when you're not here. It's all we talk about in our meetings downstairs. How do we, how do we go with what God is doing, put people together, walk along? How do we get more people to come along and know that when they walk with the kids in Sunday school or somewhere else, they're going to see God's mercy in a way they wouldn't anywhere else? How do we get in view of God's mercy? It's free. It's by grace. It happens in faith and not our own strength to come along with him. Do you know that? Have you seen his mercy? Paul doesn't stop there. He continues on. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, if we've seen it, if God is who he says he is and has done this, what difference will it make? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Record screech. 
in view of God's mercy, become a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world and live by the ways of the culture any longer. But be renewed in your mind. Again, not in your own strength. In view of God's mercy, become a living sacrifice. This is your only reasonable and proper worship, your service. So notice what he doesn't say here. Your proper worship is this, and then go on to detail the songs that we sing, how long a sermon should be, usually too long. It doesn't talk about Sunday morning church attendance. It doesn't even talk about specifically serving in Sunday school. It doesn't talk about these things. It says all of your life is meant to be worshiped. God gave all of his life to you. And if that did happen and you've received it and you're in view of it, the only reasonable thing to do is give him everything you have back. But it's really hard. It takes patience. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes others. To view his mercy over and over again, that it's, as much mercy as we see is as far as we're going to be able to go. Because it's an act of faith. I did youth ministry for a long time here. And that means that one of the things I've had the privilege of doing is a lot of weddings for some of the kids that came up here in the ministry. Uh, And so one of the things that goes with that is to sit with them beforehand and do premarital counseling. Which I love because it really doesn't have much to do with them getting married. It's just Jesus and discipleship. How are we viewing his mercy in light of the relationship that we have together? And the first session as we get together, I always have uh, two really important questions, or three. The first is, why get married when there's so many in the world that say there's a better option? I don't agree with it, but for you, do you know why you're choosing marriage over something else? And then the second question I ask is, why get married in a church or why get married with a minister? And as you ask those two questions, inevitably, because the kids have been around church, and possibly because they mean it and they view Jesus, they give the answer, we want to build our marriage on Jesus. We want Jesus to be in the center of our home and in our hearts. The next question I ask after that is, what do you dream about for your marriage? You know, what do you want it to look like 10 years down the road? Draw a picture of your home. I stole that from Stephen. What do you want it to look like and this life to be like? And inevitably, when they start to go that route, what they reveal is that at the center of their heart is a lot of stuff. The dreams professionally, relationally, the way they want to integrate their friends, all of these other things. And they paint a picture that that doesn't look like many marriages I've seen because it doesn't have the, the tears and the doubts and the hardships that also come along with moving towards Jesus with another person. And inevitably, as we get to the question of what does it mean to have a Christ-centered marriage, what we see is what they really want is they want Jesus to come visit the center of what's already at their heart and bless it. Sprinkle a little magic on it. That the Jesus that they want is the Jesus who performs miracles, who turns water into wine, who overthrows the tables in the temple. The Jesus who stands up to power. The Jesus who sits on the throne of glory. The resurrected Jesus. The powerful Jesus. 
But they, like us, haven't necessarily given all of their life to all of who He is. When we are called to present our lives as living sacrifice, the word present is present, offer, present, gift, give away. In view of God's mercy, we're called to bring every part of us to Him. And it's not just on Sunday morning. You can't do that with an hour on Sunday morning. We need more time and bring him into more places if we're going to give him everything back. Our time, our money, the recreational activities we allow in our home or how often, our vacation time, our professional ambition, all of these things God desires for us. Not to just take it and run away with it, not to create more and more suffering, but in view of his mercy to give more mercy. To transform us. This is your proper worship. We live in a culture and a society and a time where we like to pretend, and especially a lot of folks outside the church, oh, I don't worship anything. I worship Jesus. I got Christ at the middle of my life. I don't worship anything else except for productivity, except for what other people think about me, except for how secure and good my kids are turning out to be except for how big our church grows to be, except for how much money is in the bank account. The Bible is unflinching in saying that you are always worshiping and looking for glory somewhere. And that everything we do is a message that, that grabs our attention of our heart. So we're always in view of something and it may not be the mercy of God. Maybe the demands or needs of the world the pattern of destruction, the pattern that doesn't acknowledge God or give him thanks or seek his glory. Or even the one that suffers in the shame and security and the guilt of sin that unless I'm productive, unless I earn my way. Presenting our life is not just an hour on Sunday morning and it's not just one and done. It's a long journey where more and more we bring every part of our life to say, Jesus, what would you do with this? And the people I see who walk in hope and, and they're the most refreshing people to be around and the most encouraging and the ones that, that God is clearly using. He's using all of us, no matter where that we are, but there's, there's some people that you leave and it's like you just left God's house. And it's not that they have everything right. It's just that they're in view of God's grace. They're in view of his mercy. And they want to see what he can do with the rest of this. We bring all of our life to all of him. This is what discipleship looks like. This is why you got to have partners for the journey so they can see what you're not giving up. They can see what patterns you're conforming to. They can see what mercy you're just not seeing. And they can tell you and show you what's going on with them. We need partners for this journey. You are not your own, but you belong. Many members forming one body, living one life in this direction. If we have seen God's mercy, he is who he says he is. Then we're invited to let it transform us in this way. To renew us. To change us. To make us whole. As we land the plane here, 
We just want to talk about hospitality for a little bit. Hospitality is sharing really whatever, whatever story you've got. If you've got doubt and pain and you can't see his mercy, share that. Bring it. We'd love to hear that. If you're stuck on the side of the road because no car has come and you're not very far along, great. We've all been there. And I can tell you whether you're just starting out from your house and making it to the second one before you get on the curb or whether you're almost there and on the side, it kind of feels the same. And yet it kind of feels different. Would you let us come along and wait with you? In hospitality, would you come along and wait with somebody else? You see, in our life, as I was asking some people, what, why do we struggle with hospitality? What's going on there? Sometimes it's because nobody's showing us hospitality. Whether they walked away or we did, we just haven't been in view of God's mercy very much, very often. And so there's not a lot in the well to come back out for the sake of other people. And sometimes, instead of in view of God's mercy, we're in view of the need or the expectations of others or the demands and the pattern of the world. And we say, I'm not sure I fit what everybody's looking for here. And that's why I wanted to talk about the gifts because I love this passage where it says this. Paul says, because of the grace that I've been given, now it's going to shape what I do with you and I'm going to encourage you. And then he says, because of the grace that God has given you and the faith that God has given you, because of the mercy you are in view of and the gifts he has given you, just give those away. You see, in our life, we can live in this place of pride and insecurity. We think too much of our gifts, and he says here, don't think too much of yourself. Be realistic, enter into reality. You can't do and be all the things that you want to be, and you certainly can't get there on your own strength. And sometimes we think too low of ourselves. Because we say, my story is only this. The grace God showed me is only this. My grasping his mercy is only this. But a passage like this says, in accordance with what God has given you at this time. Your life where you are right now is not an accident. Your hardships is not an accident. Your pain, your suffering, your faith, your gifts, none of these things are accidental. God's purpose is in all of them. But unless by faith we live in that, we may not see it. How do you show hospitality to others? You give what you have, not what you don't. Whatever you have, give it away to somebody else. If you need somebody to give it to, come talk to me. If you need help knowing what you have, come talk to me. Not that I'm going to be the one who does all that. I don't have so many hours in the day. But I can help you find somebody if it's not me. But we need to sit and wait in view of his mercy to see what we have, to see in faith, and then to offer it to others. The command here, although each of us practices hospitality a different way, the command here, Paul transitions to say just general commands for everybody. Everybody. Love must be sincere. You've got to practice what is evil. You've got to cling to what is good. You better take hold of it and squeeze hard because everything in the world is going to be trying to pull it away from you. And then he says this, be devoted to one another in, as the Greek says, 
Philadelphia. Now, be devoted to one another in Philadelphia does not mean that this is the book to the Romans and the Pennsylvanians. Because I'm pretty sure that God's grace is not free for Phillies and Eagles fans. But the word Philadelphia, we know from our culture that Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. Because the word Philadelphia is phileo, which is this love in Greek, and then delphos, which is our brother. So God's call, as he's talking in those first verses about how we offer our lives to one another, we practice it and we do it in the context of our loving community with one another. That's why service does matter here. That's why hospitality to one another does matter. To say hello to somebody during the break. To welcome people in. To host community group in your house. To teach a Bible study. Offering ourselves up to meet one another's needs. is the brotherly and sisterly love that our brother Jesus has given to us in his mercy. But then he takes that same word, Philadelphia, love for brother, and turns it to philazenos. It's like the word xenophobic, the fear of the stranger or the other. It's the love of the stranger, the strangerly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and don't stop there. In view of his mercy, be devoted to strangerly love. Because the Bible tells us that when we give what it is that we have, our view of the mercy of God, no matter what the context of our gifts is, and we show that love to a stranger, we turn strangers into brothers and sisters. If you're going to work tomorrow, somebody's going to be in a strange place from where you are. And their view of God's mercy and their view of themselves may be eclipsed by all kinds of things. In view of God's mercy, show up there. Your kids this afternoon, if they had a busy weekend and they're worn out, They may come in a strange and unfamiliar place or a familiar place, loud, angry, wanting something. In view of God's mercy, show hospitality, welcome them in. Listen and see what's going on there. Are they living out of his mercy or living out of something else? What pattern are they conforming to? In the weeks ahead, as we talk more and more about service, where is God laying it on your heart to plug in? In view of his mercy, to live in your gifts, in his story, in your life right now, not something else. You don't have to pretend that he might knit us together, that we would belong mind, body, and soul not only to him, but also to one another. So friends, in view of God's mercy, give your life to the one, the only one who can do something about it, to restore the splendor and glory, to heal the hurt, to view mercy and show it to you when you lose it. The only one who could give you the faith and the grace and the giftedness that we might walk in his will, his perfect good and pleasing will for his glory and for our joy. Amen.